Beyond the Touchline. Welcome to episode two of Beyond the Touchline, EWN Sports Rugby World Cup podcast series. My name is Michael Pedro. And my name is Ahmed Kaji. Now, we're going to be looking at the way the game has evolved over time and if the tactics or style of play has changed over the years. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to take into consideration. We've seen a lot of teams use a lot of different tactics over the years and try and play the game in a specific way. I know a while ago, South Africa tried to play running rugby. Uh, as New Zealand are so famous for and well known for. Uh, But over the years, it has evolved a little bit. I mean, in recent times, especially since the last Rugby World Cup in 2015, uh, something like box kicks has become a lot more frequently used throughout matches. It maybe wasn't such an important part of the game before the 2015 World Cup or even in the last two years. Yeah, definitely. Those are things we should be taking into consideration. But I'm going to take it a step back, uh, if you don't mind. Thinking back to the Springboks' original style of play, crash ball is something that the Springboks have been doing for a number of years and seems to have worked. The Springboks have definitely had heavier packs when compared to their opposition. Front rows have generally tended to be a lot heavier, a lot bigger guys in the front row especially. So it suited South Africa's game to maul and to ruck as often as possible because the box had bigger players traditionally. But over time we've seen, I mean, New Zealand, their forwards are huge. England's forwards are massive at the moment as well. So the game has changed in that maybe players have become a little bit, I don't want to say slimmer, because that sounds disrespectful to, <laughs> to some of the guys in years gone past. But definitely fitness regimes have changed over the years. And the focus is more on fast twitch muscle fibers and moving quickly rather than just running with the ball and bashing into people. Mm which no doubt South Africa are renowned for and are very good at. But is it as effective now as it was before? I think that comes down to whether you're looking back at the 2007, uh, 2011, 2015 Rugby World Cup and obviously the rugby championships in between that period. It was almost the case where you knew that if South Africa had a line out inside the opposition 22, you were guaranteed that a mall would form after that. And the try would happen at least 70 to 80 percent of the time. And then you look back now to a New Zealand style of play where regardless of where a line-out is, more often than not, it's going back to the scrum half and it's running rugby, which I'm a massive fan of. I think running rugby is is the most attractive to look at. It's exceptionally entertaining and energetic. And uh, perhaps this is my inner not South African, not particularly enjoying South African style of rugby, but uh, it's almost just admiring the way rug- uh, running rugby tends to normally work. Yeah, and at one stage, uh, Heineke Meyer, he tried to do that with the, with the Springbok squad. Obviously, him being involved in the Bulls at the time, just before he was uh, head coach of the Springboks. The Bulls at that time, I remember, played some very expansive rugby, pretty much the way we see the Cheetahs and the Lions play in this previous Curry Cup season that's just gone by. And that's something that he tried to introduce into the national team. And to an extent it worked, but you could see that it was still very much in the teething phases of trying to bring in running rugby. But I don't think South Africa at that time had the players who could do that. Yes, there was Brian Habana on the wing, there was JP Peterson, but Jean de Villiers, Jacques Ferry, they were still very big centers. 
and still very physical in that way and looking for confrontation in in Iraq and, and in trying to break the gain line. Whereas I think now, looking at New Zealand, there's a lot of mobile players in the back line, England as well, Ireland even, Wales to a certain extent. So running rugby is definitely something that has been a feature of a lot of teams, something that South Africa tried in the past, but didn't really work. We spoke to uh, Joel Stransky, who, won, who was part of the World Cup winning squad in 1995, and he spoke about how current South African coach Rassi Erasmus, in the last 18 months, managed to actually bring back South Africa to its original roots, but also shows that, if need be, South Africa can actually go back to maybe just playing a bit of hands rugby. Well, I think rugby has evolved, hasn't it? Rugby, the game, the game has changed dramatically. It's, um, it's much more a game of keeping position. It's about looking after the, the ball from all parts of the field. Um, I think, though, even within the, the dynamics of the change of the game, you have to stick to your traditional strengths. And I think we've tried to evolve our game. We've tried to play to, you know, a game that maybe is, is a strength of other teams. And ultimately, I think what Russi's done really well is come back to what our strength is. Our strength is a big, strong pack of forwards that can go bully the opposition into submission. It is about a big, strong defensive pattern that we go and knock guys backwards and we're physical and we win the, the battle of the game line. We win the confrontation. You know, speaking about evolving over the years and the different styles of play, kicking has always been an important part. So when you come back to your fullbacks and your fly halves, it's exceptionally important that they are always on their A games. And even now, to an extent, the scrum halves. Uh, New Zealand are known to be a team who plays running rugby, so kicking isn't necessarily a key part of their game. That's a fair point. There's a lot of times where New Zealand do tend to kick, but it's more tactical kicking. And I feel like at a certain stage, South Africa used to just kick for the sake of kicking. <laughs> just because they, <laughs> they could. have that. At times, I think, during at, at least between 2007 and 2012, I used to just think, all right, well, if it's going back uh, from the scrum or from the rock, South Africa is going to be kicking it. And perhaps at the time, I never understood the tactical part of it. And I guess the coaches perhaps knew a lot more. Well, they were the coaches, right? But like you say, at times, it was almost like they were just kicking for the sake of it, yeah? Yeah, and if you, if you at that stage, played a drinking game, for every time South Africa <laughs> kicked the ball, you would be hammered by the first 15 minutes so that's thing that i'm glad has changed in south african rugby where there isn't that tendency to just almost on the face of it kick for the sake of kicking just because you can so that's one thing that i'm glad to see has gone out of the springbok springboks game especially since rassi rasmus has taken over but there is there is and there always will be a place for kicking in the game of rugby it's it's a natural thing to do so i don't think it's going to be something that goes out of the game completely but you do see teams like new zealand not using it as often as as say the springboks or even in england or wales for that matter as well but what has interested me, at least over the last three or four years, we've seen box kicks coming into the four. I know Faf de Klerk, uh, he uses uh, that ammunition a lot. Yeah, TJ Perinare is another one who who loves a box kick. Uh, you can almost, almost tell when he's going to do it. His sort of stabilizing foot in the ruck is always pointed up towards the sky, which is a bit of a tell for the defense to try and rush him. But <laughs> it's it's something that has been used and that will always be used. Obviously, it's a way of gaining territory and a way of trying to, to stamp your authority on the game and play rugby in the opposition half all the time. But 
I think a lot of times there's unnecessary kicking, especially looking at the Springboks' history. There's been a lot of times where we don't need to kick that we do. Um, but again, glad to see that that has changed. And also the fact that there is a, a move towards running rugby all over the world. Uh, we see the Pro 14 uh, which is the Northern Hemisphere equivalent maybe of Super Rugby, where there's a lot of guys who are willing to run with the ball. And if they do kick, it's not necessarily an up and under. It's a grubber to to ha- get that variable bounce on the ball and to just try and gain that extra extra metrage to, to put pressure on the opposition inside their own half. Now, speaking towards this, we obviously chatted to uh, Victor Matfield and he actually explained it perfectly especially given the weather conditions uh, that all the rugby teams are expecting in Japan. Track we change all the time and there's little things in the game that will change but as the more the more rack we change the more it stays the same as well. You still need a forward pack that dominates that get you over the advantage line that dominates set piece. You need a special 9-10 that can uh, dictate the game and then you need special players on the outside that can score tries from nowhere. So although there's a lot of change it's stay the same pretty much the same as well so um, yeah I think uh, in this World Cup uh, we'll find especially in the beginning uh, tactical kicking will be very important because of the humidity but as I hear as the tournament goes on it actually gets better so at the end semi-finals finals you'll probably see more running rugby so you'll have to be able to play both games. On the back of Victor Matfield's comments about how important kicking is heading into this uh, heading into this World Cup um, there are obviously differing views about how rugby has evolved. The consensus on the fact that squad depth has always been an important factor, especially if you want to win a World Cup. You think that you need at least two or three players who are confident starters in their respective franchises who can actually play for cover when it comes through to the national team. And getting into a World Cup, you almost have to fight for your spot to be in the starting lineup. And that's one thing I think that has been the standout for the Springbok squad in particular heading into this World Cup is the fact that there are so many options in so many different positions. I mean, at one stage, if you looked at scrum halves, you were only really looking at Fauri Dupria for the Springboks. Who was brilliant. Let's take nothing away from that. But if he wasn't around, who was going to fill in for him? And now looking at the squad, you've got the likes of Faf de Klaak, Kourbis Reinach, Herschel Yankees, all playing at the top level for their clubs. And also, could either one of them could start for the Springboks and no one would really raise an eyebrow to that. Look at other positions, like on the wing. You've got Spoon Corsi, Apiwe Dianti before his his scandal off the field was challenging mm-hmm. for that. Makazolo Mapimpi, who has been fantastic over the course of the last couple of years. Um, so there's a lot of depth in the Springbok squad at this stage. And you look back at teams that have won World Cups before. Look at, the obviously, the, the first example that comes to mind is New Zealand because they are the most successful team in Rugby World Cup history. And every time they've won a World Cup, they've had two or three players pretty much for every position. And yes, that's you can't really have that in terms of the numbers of players that you can take, but they had players who could fill in multiple positions. Uh, you look at their squad at the moment. They've got uh, Bowden Barrett and Richie Mwango who can alternate between fullback and fly half. You've got Sonny Bill Williams at center. You've got so many options, not just in the back line, in the forwards as well. Kieran Reid, Brody Retallick, the list goes on and on and on. And that 
obviously is key to winning a World Cup. And I think it's something that a lot of teams have looked to improve on. England also have a squad that goes very deep as well. Wales to Ireland, they're not number one in the world for nothing. They have the the players who can come in whenever needed and do a job for them. So squad depth is always very important. And that's also another reason why this World Cup is going to be so open. Because so many squads have quality players that can start in any game and not really notice a difference in the way the team performs. I'm really glad you went into quite some detail about the importance of having a squad that has so much depth. Brayton Pulsa explained to us exactly what it means. I spoke about the depth of the squad. That's why that is so important. You know, you can't just do with 15 informed players. You need a squad of 30 players um, in any given year uh, to be able to compete at the highest level all the time. Uh, You need, you know, two good wingers. You need four good wingers. You need four good scrummies. You need three good tens, yeah, if you like. So, and I think Russia has created that. And, and that for me is really, really exciting. Uh, where a year ago, you know, uh, we weren't sure who was going to be our number 12 or our number 11 or number 14. And suddenly there's a this mix of young exuberance who came through and, and certainly giving the team extra energy and dynamic as well. So that's very exciting. Let us know in the comments below what your thoughts are about South Africa's squad depth heading into this World Cup and whether or not you think the style of play that South Africa are trying to implement is going to work. You can tweet us using the hashtag EWNBeyondTheTouchline, tweeting us at EWNSport. In the next episode of Beyond the Touchline, we take a look at the psychology of the fan. Beyond the Touchline, brought to you by EWNSport.